0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents part one of the Gospel of Luke chapter nine. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Gain the whole world but lose your soul. What's the profit? St. Ignatius in his general Examine, said this, Spend a month in making a pilgrimage without money, but begging from door to door at times for the love of God our Lord in order to grow accustomed to discomfort in food and lodging. Thus, too, the candidate, through abandoning all the reliance which he could have in money and other created things, may with genuine faith and intense love place his reliance entirely in his Creator, our Lord. And so, the young Jesuits, when they go into the order, they test this principle of Ignatius, it's of Jesus, really. But the Midwest SJ novices here have to make a pilgrimage across the country with little money. In fact, they give them 35 bucks and a one way bus ticket to like Los Angeles or New York, and they have one. One month to make it back on $35. So they have to beg. They have to figure out a place to stay every night. So it's kind of this principle. We see Jesus saying here tonight, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics and whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. Jesus says to all tonight, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Daily. Luke's the only one that says daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So tonight Jesus is sending the 12, the 12 apostles on mission. He called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons, not just some demons, a few demons, over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the word of God and to heal. Can you imagine? You're one of those 12. You're Peter. You're John. You're Andrew. And now you can do all these things. Uh, you're blind. Be healed. You're deaf. Be healed. You're paralyzed. Oh, get up off your mat and walk. Uh, can you imagine? In the name of Jesus, they have the power and authority to do that. And they did just that. And just think of doing that. They all went out and did exactly that. It must have been incredible for them to experience the power of God at work through them. John had prepared everybody. He had made that heart soil fertile with repentance, that cry to repent and make ready the way of the Lord. And now the twelve get to proclaim, they get to preach the kingdom of God, anointed by Jesus himself with power and authority to heal. No wonder 5,000 men plus would gather in Bethsaida for one of the greatest miracles of all time. 5,000 men means also at least probably 5,000 women and a bunch kids so a big crowd would come to Bethsaida because these men had gone out on mission Matthew says it this way these 12 Jesus sent out charging them go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel so to the Jews first and preach as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand So the kingdom of heaven had come, and the kingdom of heaven is in Jesus Christ. Wherever, we're back to Luke now, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, do what? Shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now that is a Hebrew idiom, shake the dust from your feet, and when... You're in a Gentile city. Pious Jews would shake the dust off their feet to show their separation from the Gentile practices. They are separate. They are set apart. They are chosen by God. So they would shake the dust, Gentile dust off their feet. But if the disciples are going to Jewish towns and they're shaking Jewish dust off their feet, what's that mean? It's a separation between fellow Jews who have rejected Jesus as the Christ that they have preached, the anointed one. And so the gesture was more to show them you're making a wrong choice. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. You have an opportunity to choose Christ today. It might not ever come your way again. It might not ever present itself again. Make a choice for Jesus today. It says this in Matthew. If any one of you will not receive or listen to your words, then shake the dust from your feet. And as you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that Jewish town. Whoa, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Absolute total destruction, burnt by fire, hail and brimstone. So don't make the wrong choice. So St. Paul and Barnabas also did this. They were expelled from Antioch and Pisidia and by Jews who disapproved of their teaching. And the Jews incited devout women of high standing and leading men of the city to stir up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drive them out of the district. What did they do? They took off their shoes and shook the dust from their feet against them on their way to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So even the dust of those cities that rejected the Lord, Jewish cities, it was an abomination. And they would not allow that dust to cling to their feet because they were on mission for God. It's as if you're saying, I can't be responsible for you anymore. I've told you the truth. It's your free will to reject the truth. I shake the dust from my feet. Did you ever feel that way with your kids or any of your family members? You you talk to your blue in the face. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you pray and you pray. And at some point you emancipate them. But with your own family members, you never shake the dust off your feet. You always stay in communion and you show love and you pray and you start fasting because fasting is powerful. And you look for opportunities and new ardor and new methods where you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you pray for other people to come into their lives. So they departed, they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now that must have been quite a time. But later in Luke 9, we hear that there was this boy with a demon. And the father says, teacher, I beg you to look upon my son. He's my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him till he foams and shatters. It, 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 it will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. What? What? Ah, Jesus says, ah, you faithful, perverse generation, how long must I bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon tore him and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to the father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Why is Jesus so perturbed? Their lack of faith? Did they get too proud? Did they get puffed up with pride at all the miracles they were doing? We don't know, but they should have been able to heal that boy because he had given them power and authority over all demons. So, tonight we hear of the 12 going out on mission, and next week we'll hear of 70 more going out on mission. But these 12 are the 12 apostles sent by Christ himself with his own power and authority. And we know two of the gospel writers are among those 12, Matthew and John. We know Luke and Mark are among the 70, okay, for next week. We see in this chapter that Herod is very perplexed. Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And Herod sought to see Jesus. He wanted to see him. He wanted to meet him. John had puzzled him and perplexed him. He liked to call on him for entertainment sometimes. I'd like to meet this Jesus fella. And in Luke 13, we'll see that Pharisees Some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Even the Pharisees are protecting Jesus from Herod. Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, and he meant Herod, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. Now, we know what he did on the third day. The third day is always good in scripture. That's the resurrection day. He will finish his course with that fox. And they will not meet until it comes to the passion of Jesus Christ. Herod will get to see Jesus at that time. as in Luke 23. And Pilate, the Roman procurator of Judea, sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, remember, because Herod was in town in Jerusalem for Passover, and Jesus... They found out he came from Herod Antipas's territory. So Pilate sends him back to Herod, and Herod's eager to see him and meet him. He wants some miracles, perhaps. But uh, he returns him to Pilate, unwilling to pass judgment. And that day, what happens? Pilate and Herod became friends. The scripture says, Luke 23, the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves and why are they at enmity two wicked men two two men wanting to kill an innocent man the friendship of wicked men is often formed by the union of their wickedness we know from history that the execution of john the baptist took place in 32 ad shortly before the passover following two years of prison time flavius josephus records that for us that it happened at Marcareus at the location of john's imprisonment and execution the location where Herod had built a fortress, he has a lot of these in the Holy Land, but this is a hilltop palace located in Jordan, 16 miles southeast of the mouth of the Jordan River on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And in 39 AD, Herod Antipas gets accused by his nephew Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I, of conspiracy against the new Roman emperor Caligula, he'll be emperor number three, who sent him into exile, sends Herod into exile in Gaul, along with Herodias, his wife, and that is where. Herod will die remember Herodias she is the wife of Herod Antipas she's married to Herod Philip the half-brother of Herod Antipas and to make matters worse she's the daughter of Herod Aristobulus a half-brother to both of the Herods that she was married to and that means that she was married to two of her half-uncles She committed adultery with the second Herod Antipas while still married to Herod Philip. And then she did the unthinkable and divorced her husband to get married to the more powerful Herod Antipas. And so just as Elijah, we're going to see Elijah and Moses a lot today. Just as Elijah had to contend with Jezebel, the evil wife of King Ahab, the new Elijah had to contend with the evil Herodias. Both women want the prophet of their time dead. Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Herodias wants John the Baptist dead. Why? Elijah called King Ahab and Queen Jezebel out for their sinfulness, just as John the Baptist will call out Herodias and Herod for their sinfulness. And Herodias has sheer evil intent. She wants his head. She's going to use her own daughter as an object to, and teach her daughter how to get whatever she wants by doing a very seductive dance for Herod. There are only two miracles in the Bible that are in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to see one of them tonight. The first one, we don't see this tonight, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Tonight we're going to see the feeding of the 5,000, and it is in all four Gospels. That means it's very important, and all the Gospel writers want you to know about it. The only one that tells us the location is Luke. Matthew says they withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. Mark says, come away by yourselves to a lonely place to rest. Jesus, uh, in John's gospel, went up to the hills and there sat down with the disciples. But in Luke's version, Luke chapter 9, we get the most details. On their return, the disciples told Jesus what they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a city called Bethsaida. It's the only time we know, and Bethsaida means house of hunting or house of fishing. And they had done some fishing, doing all those miracles. They were fishers of men now in their calling. And they had hunted a lot of souls, and a lot of people were following them now. And so 5,000-plus men, women, and children come to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is still there. This is the tell of Bethsaida, the the hill. It's uh, on the basaltic spur of the Sea of Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee, near the inflow where the Jordan River comes into the Sea of Galilee. So you see that would be good for fishing, that fresh water coming into the sea. And it's an ancient fishing city, and it's the birthplace of three of the apostles. Peter is born there. His brother Andrew and Philip all came from Bethsaida. We know that from scripture, and we know that Jesus performed miracles in Bethsaida. I'll tell you one of them that's kind of funny, you might remember. They come to Bethsaida, and some people, this is Mark 8, some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and what did he do? He led him out of Bethsaida. Hmm, it's interesting. And when Jesus had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, oh, I see people. Uh, They kind of look like trees walking around. Do you remember this? And Jesus has to do it again. It didn't, you know, quite work the first time. Then again, Jesus laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him away to his home saying, what? Do not even enter the village of Bethsaida. Hmm. And then in Luke 10, he's going to curse Bethsaida. He'll say, woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! A curse on you! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon which are Phoenician territories, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'll be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you, Bethsaida. Hmm. So Bethsaida gets cursed by Jesus Christ, and that city is gone. In 65 AD, it is wiped out. In the Jewish-Roman war, Bethsaida is taken, and it becomes the lost city of the Bible until UNO found it. (laughs) UNO really did find it. Since 1990, UNO has been digging in Bethsaida, finding many interesting artifacts on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. For years, they've had a presence there. And this lost city is being found and uncovered. And it's led by Dr. Rami Arav. And it used to be right on the sea. But there was a series of earthquakes later in time that made the silt accumulate and made a valley and caused the north shore of the Sea of Galilee to move. And so the sea receded from this city, and it's further up, and people couldn't find it. And so now they're digging in the right spot. It's further up away from the water now because of that earthquake activity. When you go tour the Holy Land, most tour guides will take you to Tabka and they will tell you that this is where this miracle happened. There's a Byzantine church that once existed there in the 5th to 7th centuries, that got destroyed by the Persians, and Beseda has been lost for 1,300 years, and so they thought maybe this was the place where this miracle happened because these great mosaic tile works of the birds, and and they said this rock, there was a tile of fish and loaves of bread, and so they thought this must be the place where they built this church. And there's the rock where Jesus did this miracle, where he stood to multiply the bread. But really, this town in Hebrew is called the Spring of Seven, and the Benedictine Order built a church there and they built it on that mosaic that was found, and that church only opened, it was completed in 1982, so it's super new, and now all this exciting stuff's happening in Bethsaida, the real Bethsaida. So this is where Jesus is with his apostles today, and Flavius Josephus stated that King Herod Philip, whose kingdom included the northern part of Israel, changed the name of the city Bethsaida at the beginning of the first century to Julius, So it even had a name change. It becomes a Roman town now. After Julia Livia, who's the wife of the emperor Augustus Caesar, who was ruling at the time of Christ, right, when Christ was born. Josephus said Herod Philip died in this city, and he was buried there with great pomp. And so here's the division right there on the sea is this town. And it was under Herod Philip's rule. And Augustus Caesar was the first emperor, remember, of the Roman Empire at the birth of Christ. Luke tells us that. He's the one who ordered the census be taken and Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem. But his wife is named Livia Drusilla. And she's who Bethsaida, the new Bethsaida, was named after. The wife of Caesar Augustus and his very close advisor, Augustus loved her and extended her official membership into his Julian dynasty and gave her the title Augusta. And so she became Julia Augusta. And he gave her one third of his estate. And she had a son named Tiberius. It was not Augustus's son. It's her son by another man. And he adopted Tiberius and gave him two thirds of his estate. And so when he died in 14 AD, Tiberius becomes the second emperor of Rome and is ruling over the entire empire when in Luke 3 we hear it's the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate is governor and Herod is a tetrarch of Galilee. And Julia Augusta is the first lady of the Roman empire and she was extremely popular with the people. They loved her. And the Roman senate voted to give her a very prestigious title called mother of the country, mother of the empire. And her son hated that. It was enough that she was his mother, let alone the whole empire's mother. He, They had a rift about this, she and Tiberius, and uh, he blocked the Senate from granting her the title Mother of the Country. He did not go along with that. He was known, Tiberius was known, to go to the Pleasure Island of Capri very often. He's a party boy, and he liked to go to the island of Capri, and his mother was always interfering with his Things he had planned. So, uh, (laughs) uh, but the country loved her, and on her birthday, uh, they made her a priestess of the newly deified god Augustus, and this was a move without presidents because now she was going to be a goddess. If he's a god, she's a goddess. And so she is made a goddess of the empire. And this is right when Jesus is starting his ministry. Jesus is about 30 years old when she's been made a goddess. And Bethsaida has been renamed after her. And you can imagine, they've uh, Herod, the great son Philip, has raised the fishing village of Bethsaida, renamed the city to Bethsaida Julius in honor of Emperor Augustus' wife in 30 A.D., And then they built a temple. They started building temples to her, this goddess, all over the empire. Temples to her were everywhere. Temples to Augustus, temple to his wife, including they built a temple to her in the Jewish fishing town of Bethsaida. Now, think of Peter, Andrew, Philip. This is their hometown. They're Jews. There is one God, God alone. God is one. And here comes a temple for who? 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 For her, she's Julia, and she had this front hair roll style. Everyone knew that everyone wanted this hairstyle. And every statue you see of her has this roll. It was the newest newest hairstyle, very much in vogue. So we see that Peter, Andrew, they love Beseda. They're not living in Bethsaida anymore. When Jesus meets them, they're in Capernaum. They're fishermen in Capernaum. Peter's house is in Capernaum if you go there today. So he's moved from Bethsaida. I think he's had it with the Romans encroaching on on that Jewish town. And so he may have moved at that time. The Roman Empire was taking over Jewish territory, Israel. And this is where Jesus chooses outside of Bethsaida to feed the 5,000. These people are oppressed They're down, and the apostles have been doing numerous miracles, and they're hungry, let's say, for more than just bread. So Jesus took them with him. He withdrew by himself to a town called Bethsaida, but the crowds learned about it and they followed him. And the crowds were large, larger, larger, larger because they had multiplied their miracles. And Jesus welcomed them. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He cured those who had need of healing. And the day was beginning to wear away and the 12 came to him and they said, send the crowd away and to go to the villages in the country roundabout to lodge and get provisions for we are here in a lonely place. But Jesus said to them, "You give them something to eat." You, and they're like, "I mean, we, we can heal now. We can heal the blind. We can raise. We can. We can make people walk. We can hear. We can do healings. That we can drive out demons. Some demons. Most demons. But you, we don't know how to do this one. You give them something to eat. He had given them power and authority to cure and to heal and to preach the kingdom of God. And now Jesus is telling them, "You give them something to eat." And they say, "Well." we just have five loaves and two fish and like there's 12 of us and we're pretty hungry and like that's not going to go that far, you know, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people and we don't have money for that. What are you thinking? And we don't know what you're talking about. For there were about 5,000 men and Jesus said to his disciples, make them sit down in companies, in companies of about 50 each. And they did so and made them all sit down. Now Jesus said, make them sit down in companies. Who in the Old Testament, what man in the Old Testament made people arrange themselves in organized companies? You remember our Exodus study. Moses, in Numbers 1, the people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies. Same exact word. Every man by his own camp and every man by his own standard because each 12 tribes of Israel had a standard. It was a banner, a flag with their symbol on it. And so they're in their companies in the desert. Remember, for 40 years, and they're always lining up like this. And this is how they travel, and they're counted, and they're, uh, they have to be in this company. And what is in the middle? What is in the middle that every tent must face? The true presence of God. If God's not with us, we can't go on, Moses said. So God tells him how to make this tabernacle every detail, and the true presence of God is in the middle. Right? Remember that? Okay, stay with me here. So the true presence of God is in the middle. And each of the tribes have their own standards. And when he says the leader to the north, south, east, west, they all have their banners. And one of them is Reuben. And his symbol is the face of a man. Ephraim is the ox. Dan is the eagle. And Judah is the lion, the lion of Judah. And they line up with their banners to the east, to the south, to the north, to the west. Judah, the lion, the man, Reuben, the cow, Ephraim, and the eagle at this time. So here they go. And when you count it out, and people have done this, and it says in the book of Numbers how many thousand were each, in each thing, the shape would have looked like a cross. And what's in the center? The true presence of God. The true presence of God and the priesthood. The true presence of God. The priests didn't have their own tribe. So they don't aren't going to own any land. They always are around the true presence of God. So this is what's going to march through the desert wilderness to try to get to the promised land. And the true presence of God will be in the middle, surrounded by... These standards of the Jews, these four things. Now Ezekiel has a vision, and we studied this. It was the 30th year in the fourth month of his ministry, fifth day of the month, and he was by the river Chabar. Remember? The heavens were opened, and I saw what? Visions of God. He's going to get a vision of the heavenly throne room of God. He looks out. A stormy wind came up. Great cloud, brightness around about it. Fire flashing continually in the midst of the fire, gleaming bronze. And from the midst of it came the likeness of what? four living creatures, four living creatures. And their appearance, they had the form of a man, they had four faces, each of them had four wings, their legs were straight, the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. And under their wings, they had four sides and they had human hands, and the four faces and wings, and the wings touched one another, okay? And as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man in front, the four had the face of a lion, The face of an ox, the face of an eagle. Hmm. Okay, that is what he's seeing around the throne of God in heaven. That's the true presence of God. And he's seeing these four living creatures with these four different faces. The four living creatures are the same as the banners in the desert around the true presence of God. The four living creatures. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Cool. It's crazy awesome. It's crazy mystery. And then... A New Testament guy saw it. John, 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 the evangelist. He had a vision on on Patmos in the book of Revelation. He saw the heavenly worship. Lo, in heaven, the door opened. The first voice I heard speaking, a trumpet blew. And it said, come up hither. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And lo, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So he's too seeing the throne room of heaven. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like a flying eagle. Same thing. Same thing that Ezekiel saw. The four faces, the four different things. The man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle. And the four living creatures, each with six eyes, full of eyes, all round within, day and night, never cease singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. So around the heavenly throne where the true presence of the Almighty God was, John saw these four living creatures. What is this? Same thing that Moses had in the desert and Ezekiel had when he saw the throne room. And Revelation says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne. And they sing, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. Twenty-four elders around the throne. Twenty-four. Why twenty-four? Twelve and twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve new apostles. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke chapter nine on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.